Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me. Lord, you are our shepherd. With you, we will never be in want. You give us all that we need and you restore us. We ask that you would lead us in your right ways for your name's sake. Help us to not fear evil and death, but to trust in your protection. Thank you for being our host and inviting us into your home to be with you and enjoy you through Christ. May your loving kindness follow us all the days of our lives and to eternity. We need you. Help me to speak your words, not mine, for your glory and credit alone. Uh, through Christ we pray. Amen. Today we're looking at the world's most famous psalm, Psalm 23, that Richard read for us. Why are we looking at Psalm 23? It is simply because last Sunday uh, I, was, I opened up the Bible app on my phone. It was early morning. Sometimes if I have a limited time to read Scripture and spend time with God, I'll just open up the Bible app, go with the verse of the day, and I clicked that, that it opened up to the entire chapter, and I was really refreshed by this psalm in a new way. You see, previously, I've been guilty of sort of neglecting, ignoring Psalm 23. I feel like I've been there, got, that t- got the t-shirt, memorized it a few times as a kid for these Bible memory competitions and Bible camp competitions, and, and I, so I got, the, I got the Psalm 23 proverbial t-shirt, okay? Been there, got that. I sort of and more attracted to more of the obscure, lesser-known psalms. But that's wrong. That's not a good approach. And so I was freshly renewed when I read this psalm last Sunday morning. And there is a reason why this psalm is the world's most famous one. Perhaps it might be the most famous or best-known Bible passage out of the entire Bible. And the reason is... As Charles Spurgeon wrote, and I sort of am working with something that he wrote about this psalm in reference to it, he's basically saying there's been no other Bible passage that has comforted more grieving souls. There's no other Bible passage, perhaps, that has brought more courage to the discouraged. There is no more Bible, or no other Bible passage that has brought more balm and medicine to sick hearts. Perhaps no other Bible passage has brought more peace to dying soldiers out on the battlefield than Psalm 23. And so, no wonder this is a staple psalm that is often read at funerals. Perhaps no better psalm to read at a funeral than this one, uh, for when we lose our loved ones. There's a pastor, his name was James Montgomery Boyce, I think he's British, and he wrote this about this psalm. He said, for some, the words of this psalm have been the last that they ever uttered in life. Perhaps no better words For you to say with your final dying breath than perhaps reciting Psalm 
23, before you go to me, be with Jesus. Or whenever your life is uh, disrupted with pain, the soothing balm of Psalm 23, it really brings sweet relief, kind of like medicine to our sickness. So I'm just asking, I don't know where you're at today. I, I assume every Sunday that I am here that there are several multiple people going through very hard and difficult things. I won't make you raise your hand unless you want to. Uh, but I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to patronize that now either. But I'm assuming there's somebody here going through, uh, to call it a rough patch would be a patronizing sort of thing to say. So it, it's tough. It's rough. You're going through some stuff today, and I'm praying that today's message might help you in some way. All right. Elsewhere in the Bible, John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus talks about himself and refers to himself as the good shepherd. Uh, in fact, uh, it's interesting, when you look at the early ancient church, did you know that, especially in the city of Rome, they actually had to hide to gather, like we are gathering here today, they had to hide. They had to hide in the catacombs, which were where they placed the dead bodies, and they would gather in the catacombs to then worship Jesus on Sundays, like we're doing today. And the reason that they had to do this in secret underground in these catacombs was because it was a dangerous thing for you to be a Christian in ancient Rome. It could be a death sentence for you, certainly meant persecution for you to be a follower of Jesus. And so as it turns out, in those catacombs where they worshipped underground, they would actually do sort of their Christian version of graffiti, which I think was acceptable because it was rock, okay? So if maybe you have a desire to do graffiti, we'll find a catacomb somewhere, I guess. But what they would do is they would do drawings and paintings in the catacombs, and there's an actual one that they found and discovered. What is it of? Jesus, the good shepherd, carrying what? A sheep on his shoulders. And so they needed that image. They needed Psalm 23 to be reminded. He is our good shepherd just to keep me alive and to give me hope if something does, if something bad happens to me, he is that shepherd that I need. All right? Isn't that powerful? This is what Jesus does for you. He carries you on his shoulders. He carries you on his strong shoulders. Let me now begin. I want to give you sort of the bird's eye view of this psalm. And interestingly, when you read it, uh, very often the focus gets to be the, the fact that our Lord is our shepherd. And that is obviously one word picture that we see in this psalm. But did you know there's actually two word pictures here? So the Lord is my shepherd gets all the press, okay? But there's actually a second one as well, which is the Lord is my host, like a dinner host, someone who invites you over to their home. And we see that in this passage as well. So based on the fact that the Lord is our shepherd, that's point number one, and Lord is our host is point number two. That is really the roadmap that we're going with for our outline today. So number one, in your notes, if you're following along, is simply our Lord is our shepherd who cares for us with. And we'll look at some things that he cares for us with. And we see this in the, the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, God is our, he is your ultimate caregiver. Being with him means you will never be in want. He gives you all that you need. I want to review, and I've shared this, I feel bad, I feel like I've always recycled the same stories and, and illustrations, and there might be some of that, I think there is some of that going on here. But let me just sort of recap. Oh, with the shepherd vocation, for, for you to have a career as a shepherd and what that looked like in biblical times or in the day of David and Jesus, uh, in the day and age of the Bible, uh, it was very much an agrarian culture. And so your currency 
was your livestock, your cows, your goats, your sheep. That was sort of like money. And so outside of the villages and the, and the towns and the cities, you would see shepherds guiding and leading and caring for these uh, uh, flocks of sheep. And as it turns out, for you to be a shepherd in the time of David or Jesus, that would mean you were working, you were basically the lowest on the ladder. This was like a, a bad job, seen as a very bad job for you to have. Okay, It would be like someone, if your job is to pick up trash for a living or digging ditches, by the way, if that's your job, that's, that's a good job. Those are good jobs. But I would say for you to be a shepherd would be seen to be even lower or harder and not an attractive job for you to have for you to be a shepherd. Reason being, what were you hanging around with all the time? What were you camping with 24-7 all the time? Sheep. Now, do sheep, do you think that they smell good? Are these clean animals? No, they smell bad. They, they look bad. They're kind of shaggy. They're kind of ugly. And they just kind of rubs off on you in a bad way, okay? I mean, it's not good. You're, you were seen as sort of like a country bumpkin. In fact, shepherds very often had the, the ancient Hebrew version of sort of the southern accent, okay? That's kind of what they had. So they had their own accent even that were often not looked favorably upon. And so for you to be a shepherd is an amazing, or for God to be a shepherd, referred to as David's shepherd, Jesus referring to himself as the good shepherd, what does that show if it was often seen as like the worst job you could have? It shows that God is a humble God. He is, Jesus is all about humility. He would lower himself to care for us just like a shepherd would care for. He would meet us at our level. That's what he did. He left heaven. He came down to our level became the God-man. That's amazing. God is a God of humility. All right. I want to quickly now talk about sheep. And this is where things kind of get funny for me. These are they're hilarious creatures. <laughs> and it's funny because what does God often refer to us throughout Scripture? To his people being his sheep. As it turns out, what is one of the dumbest, most unintelligent mammals on earth? It happens to be the sheep. And that's what he's saying that we're like, okay? Now, why are sheep so dumb? Why are they so unintelligent? It's because they cannot, they're not, well, first of all, they don't, their brain power is limited. And they can't fend for themselves. In fact, when a sheep gets alarmed and scared, let's say the wolf is coming towards its direction, it's trying to run away, which, by the way, it's very slow because it's bogged down with all this wool and nothing breathes. Okay, the wool, I guess wool does breathe, but anyhow, it's hot and sweaty and it's not, an athletic creature, and so after running away or trying to run away from the wolf for a short period of time, what does a sheep do? It just flops down onto the ground and lies down, basically saying, come eat me now. Just, just eat me for dinner now, okay? I'm a nice feast for you. Just, just end it all. I mean, that's, these are very interesting creatures. Furthermore, at night, <laughs> if a sheep sees a campfire in the distance, what will it do with the campfire? It will run towards the campfire. It loves bright lights in dark places. And like a moth to a flame, it will run right into the fire. Okay? Barbecued meat, everyone's happy, except for the wool smell burning in the flames. That's not a good thing. Then, sheep need to be led to new water and new pastures constantly. Okay? Now, why do they need to be led to new, new pastures constantly and to new water? It's because when a sheep eats the grass and the ground... It will keep eating in that same spot until it starts ingesting the soil and it will just keep on eating thereafter. The rocks, the gravel, the bedrock, it will just keep on eating and eating and eating in the same spot. I mean, these are not 
smart creature. So it needs the shepherd to say, okay, you're done. You're down to the gravel now. Move on to this spot over here where there's grass that you can eat. I mean, just not bright at all. So it's hilarious in my mind that God relates you and I to being just like sheep, a lot like sheep, okay, with him being our shepherd. And I think the point is he relates us to being like sheep is because you and I and anyone, we will not survive. We will not thrive. We will not grow unless we are led by and connected to and have a relationship of dependence upon the Lord our shepherd. That's his point. Just like sheep need their shepherd, you need me. We need our shepherd. All right, let's, I want to outline basically three ways that the Lord our shepherd cares for us, prevents us from being in want. Um, and the first way that he cares for us as a shepherd, it's little a in your notes, uh, our shepherd gives us peaceful provision. Peaceful provision. And we see this in verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As I mentioned before, real actual sheep, they will die of starvation unless uh, their shepherd leads them. They will die of thirst unless this shepherd leads them to find new pasture and new water. They need that shepherd for that sort of provision. And in the same way, our heavenly shepherd, the Lord God, he gives us physical and spiritual sustenance each and every day. Did you know that the breakfast that you may have had, maybe it was Timbits, maybe it was something like that, whatever breakfast you had this morning, whatever water you consumed, whatever coffee you consumed, all of that finds its ultimate source in who? The Lord, our shepherd. All of our food and water that we need every day, it comes from God. We forget that. He made the food. He made us. It all comes from him. Furthermore, some of you in this room work, have a job. You bring home a paycheck. Well, how do you get that paycheck? The reason that you can earn some money which pays for your food and water is because God has given you specific skills and abilities to earn an income. And so that he made you, he, you were made in his image and then he gave you certain skills and a skill set to make money. So even that paycheck is connected to the, uh, the provision of the Lord. Your we forget this. But our heavenly shepherd not only cares for us with uh, physical provision, but also spiritual provision, spiritual meals, spiritual nourishment, okay? And he gives us spiritual water that we need as well to survive and thrive by faith in Jesus. I love these next two passages and reminders and promises from Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 35, uh, it speaks about, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him and eats the bread, trusts in the bread, shall never hunger again. And then later in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in him, out of his heart will flow what? Living water, springs, unending source of living, fresh, spiritual water, clearly referring to the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in every true Christian and lives within you to, to give you the power that you need to live for Christ. And so, do you see how good our shepherd is? Not only does he provide you with breakfast, lunch and dinner, physical food, and the water that you need every day, but also the spiritual food and the, the spiritual water that you and I need if we trust in Christ. What this means is, I don't know where you're at with Christ. If you're starving spiritually, 
If you're thirsty spiritually, I'm saying come to your good shepherd Jesus and he will give you the spiritual sustenance that your soul craves and that your soul needs to be saved and to thrive. Come to Jesus. One last thing I want to mention about this point, little a. Uh, David doesn't just talk about how the Lord gives us uh, food and water. He does say that. But notice uh, that he says something else, that our shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside, does he say raging waters? Does God lead us by raging waters like Niagara Falls? No. Still waters. That was a trick question, I realize. Okay. By the way, don't you like to lie down after a hard day at work? Doesn't that feel good? You ever get a power nap once every three months? Isn't it, isn't it amazing? <laughs> so this idea of lying down, it sounds really good to me. But here's the point that David's making. So yeah, there's, there's provision, but then he's making the sheep lie down as they're taking in this provision. And I think his point here is that there's something about the shepherd that nourishes you in a peaceful, calm way, in a restorative, strengthening, load-off-the-shoulders kind of way. Isn't that cool? I mentioned earlier that, you know, when a sheep is running away from the wolf, it just gives up after a short period of time and just lies down. It's like saying, just eat me for dinner. I'm done. I'm too tired. Okay, that's true. But generally, when it comes to sheep, they do not lie down easily. Did you know that? They do not lie down easily. As it turns out, uh, they will not lie down if they're afraid. A sheep will not lie down if it's not getting along with the other sheep, like they're kind of at each other's throats a little bit. Uh, if there's any tension in the herd, they will not lie down. Uh, a sheep will not lie down if it's hungry, because how else will it eat grass and then the gravel? It has to stand up for that, okay? So here's, here's my point. Sheep will only lie down on the ground if they're not afraid, if there's no bugs bothering them, if the sheep are actually getting along, and if they're not hungry. Rest only comes to the sheep because the shepherd has taken care of their fear and their friction, their flies, and their famine. And so it is with our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He helps you with your fear. He helps you with your friction. He helps you with your proverbial flies and your suffering. He helps you with your spiritual famine. And he gives us peace. He gives us quiet confidence in him. I think some of you need a lot of rest for your soul. And I want you to dwell on this point. It, the rest is there. Receive the rest that he provides. You need to rest spiritually with Christ. Okay? Next thing that the shepherd gives us, yes, peaceful provision, but be in your notes, is guidance. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. There it is again. Restores my soul. Then, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Getting back to sheep again. I'm going to be talking about sheep here for a while, so bear with me. Sheep are terrible for knowing where they're going. So imagine landing in New York City. No Google Maps, no map, and your job is to work from one end of New York City to the other somehow. That's your, your mission and your aim, and you can't read. That's kind of like a sheep every day. They don't know what, they got no maps, they don't even know how to read a map. 
I mean, they're just lost on their own. And so they need the shepherd to guide them and to lead them. They need the shepherd to guide them to make new paths, all right, on the pastures that they are feeding on so that in the future they will just follow that path and know exactly where they are going. Basically, it boils down to if you take out the, no shepherd, no sheep. No shepherd, no guidance, no sheep. Actually, well, they become lost sheep, and then they become no sheep because the wolves are coming, you see. So it is with us. Jesus, you know what he does? He leads us down these paths of righteousness. What does that mean? He leads you and I down the, path, the right ways. He shows us how to live the right way. He is our guide to living a healthy life, a flourishing life, a growing life, a safe life. Without Jesus, you and I, we're a lost sheep. Spiritually blind, not sure where in the world we're going. We don't even know why we're here on the planet. Like, what's our purpose? We've got no purpose without Christ. If our purpose is simply to exist, like there's no God, no heaven, no hell, we're just here by chance. What kind of purpose is that? That's no purpose. There's no purpose without Christ. But Jesus comes along. He is the good shepherd. And he leads us to trust in him trust in his finished work on the cross that he lived our life for us in our place he died on the cross for our sins in our place he rose again three days later for us and we trust in jesus for salvation then we trust in jesus each and every day for guidance and we look to him and by the way he gets all the credit he gets all the glory it's all him we're just trusting in his in what he's done for us and i'm just asking you i don't know where you're at i'm saying his guidance is accessible to you. A lot of the time, it's right in front of us, and we're looking elsewhere for guidance. We're looking over here. We're looking over there. Here's the guidance he provides. And the Bible is our primary guide that he's given us. It's not the only guide, but it's the primary one. And just to come to Scripture, that's why I think there's a lot of wisdom to the idea of morning time with Christ. You begin your day looking to hear God's guidance for your life, his right ways. And, and you, you, you ingest it, you read it, you absorb it, you pray back the promises and the truths that are in that passage that day. It might be five verses, might be a chapter, might be 20 chapters. And you just pray back those promises as your, your prayer and your response to Scripture. And that's how you follow Jesus. Every day you get your marching orders. There it is. You know, for me, I've been reading Zechariah recently and just reading it. There it is. That's what i got to do today. It's that simple, praying it back to him. So anyhow, there you go. He is our guide. Uh, let's move on to the third way in which he is our shepherd. Sorry for the noise that this is making. I don't know if it's like super hot or not, but it's, uh, it's making some noise. It's really interesting. Uh, the, the third way that he cares for us is with protection. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, here we see David, he's talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that a famous, well-known saying because of this psalm? Interestingly, in and around uh, the, the place in Israel where David was, the deserts around ancient Israel, not only would, if you're walking through those ancient deserts, you would be placing your life in some measure of danger. Why? Because this is a dry spot. There's not much water. There's not much food or anything like that. But also, those ancient deserts were kind of like this, and because of the rocky terrain, shadows would form, you see. And who were in the shadows? Wild animals, robbers, people who would want to take your stuff, 
sometimes even just, you know, off you off, like be off with you, off of your head, okay, just to get your money and get your stuff. And so it was a very dangerous place for you to walk through, okay? And this part of the psalm when I was reading it last Sunday morning, it really struck me because I feel like all of us are walking through the valley of the shadow of death every day. The world in which you and I live is a broken world. It's corrupted with sin. Uh, it's corrupted. It's because of our sin and the world's collective sin. There's a curse on the world as, as a result of our sin. And there's pain, there's hardship, there's suffering, there's disease. So our world is so broken. And yet, we have to walk through this valley of the shadow of death every day. I mean, we've got to get up in the morning. We've got stuff to do. We can't just wallow in sadness and just, you know, lie down like a sheep. Can't. We've got to get up. And the way that we get up is with our shepherd. He is with us in the valley. He is walking with you. He's walking with me. Remember his rod and his staff that David refers to here, they comfort us. Let me talk about that rod that ancient shepherds utilized. This rod had a twofold purpose. The first purpose was to actually beat back wild animals. So it was actually a weapon. And you can see kind of how big this one is. Well, imagine a bear getting that on the head a few times, okay? It would not tickle. Let's just put it that way. And that's what they would do and use as a weapon to protect, protect the sheep. Furthermore, uh, this is the tool that the shepherd would use to actually guide his sheep in a very gentle way along. All right, so there was a twofold purpose uh, to that, and proverbially, his rod guides us, protects us like that as well. And so, are you trusting in Christ for the daily protection that he offers you? All right, let's move on. Not only is he our shepherd, that was sort of the main primary uh, word picture that we see in this psalm, but the second word picture is number two in your notes, that our Lord is our host our dinner host, who cares for us with, and we'll look at some things. Uh, this is the second word picture. Uh, verse 5, take a look at that, and this is where we get this from. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's amazing to think of God as our dinner host, as someone who serves us a meal, a feast. But this is the God that we follow. This is what he does. I want you to think about the last time that you were over at a friend's house, they invited you over for dinner. Let's imagine, let's walk through that. You go to your friend's house, you arrive, ding dong, ring the doorbell. What do they do? They open up the door and your host's face, they see you and their face lights up and they smile and they open up their arms and they're like, it's so good to see you. Welcome, come on in. And you enter into their home you walk into their arms, they give you a nice big hug. Then they hand you a cool beverage. They hang up your jacket. They make you feel like royalty. They sit you down at the table and they bring you appetizers, which hopefully are bacon-wrapped scallops. They have to be bacon-wrapped. You gotta have the bacon with the scallops. They're better together, okay? Actually, bacon is fine on its own, but anyhow, that's just the appetizer. Then for the main course, no vegetables, no potatoes, no rice, no steak. Lots of steak. There are three or four courses of steak is what we're going to eat for dinner. Then dessert, which has to be, you know, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Okay, this is what we're looking at for a meal. This is the best meal in the world. 
In short, your dinner host makes you feel like a million bucks. They make you feel loved because you are loved by them. You see, this but so much more with God. This is the God, our host, our dinner host. This is the one that we follow and trust. He invites us into our, his home, and he invites us to eat with him and connect with him. And let me quickly give you four ways that the Lord, our host, cares for us as our dinner host, uh, proverb, proverbially speaking, and, and actual in the end. Little a is that he cares for you by giving you a spiritual feast. A spiritual feast. Verse 5 talks about the Lord preparing a table. I think of my kids when we ask them to set the table. Well, God is kind of setting the table, preparing a table for us uh, to eat with him at. And this sort of the, implies uh, the image of him serving us a, a scrumptious big meal, better than anything that, that Gordon Ramsay can, can sort of come up with. A couple of years ago, I had uh, the joy of having and experiencing one of the best meals I have ever had, second only to every meal that my wife prepares for me. Every, it's secondary. Every meal that she makes is always better, of course. But every year, this is what happens, uh, there's an, a Seattle-based church planting organization called the CEA. Don't ask me what it stands for, but they start churches, and we, we partner, they helped us get off the ground, and they're helping Jaren's church plant get off the ground. And what they do every year in and around April or May is they gather all the church planters to come to a hotel, a nice hotel, and then they, they put them up there for a couple of nights, and then they, 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 they host these church planters like us for uh, some awesome meals at some high-end restaurants. And the last one that we went to was in Cannon Beach, which if you've never been to Cannon Beach, you got to go there. It's a pretty awesome place. And I think the, the restaurant that they took us to one night was called the Wayfarer. I don't know if you've been to the Wayfarer, but that night at the Wayfarer restaurant, and there's about 20 or 30 of us, us there, and they're paying the bill, by the way, which I love because I'm, I'm Dutch, Scottish, I'm very cheap. Uh, so they paid the bill. And wouldn't you know it, that night they're serving sturgeon. Sturgeon. Now, it is illegal to eat sturgeon here in Canada, but there uh, they allow the First Nations to harvest some sturgeon and then sell some of it, so very limited supply. So don't worry, I think, they're, I think in some ways the Americans do a lot better job actually protecting their fish stocks, but that's another conversation. But they were serving sturgeon. I'd never had it ever before. And I gotta tell you, that sturgeon meat, I took a picture, I never take pictures of food, but I took a picture of that one, and that's what that thing on the top is, okay? I think I, I ignored everything else just to eat the meat. And uh, that meat was so tasty, so scrumptious. Uh, I can't describe how, how full my, my stomach was at the end of the night, but my heart was even fuller. It was fuller. I felt truly loved by CEA, and I felt much love and still do feel love for the CEA. So it is with Jesus. He is our bread of life, our sustenance spiritually. And when we trust in him, our spiritual hunger goes away forever. Jesus gives us living water by way of the Holy Spirit. And so our spiritual thirst is taken away as well. God gives us also, in addition to that, the Word, His Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we have access to a daily 
spiritual feast in front of us if we will just read and ingest Scripture and then pray back, like I say, pray back the commands, pray back the promises, pray back the truths that we see in our chapter that we read every day back to God as a response to it and asking, help me to do this, Lord Jesus. I mean, what a spiritual feast that the Lord our host has given us. And of course, all of this is leading to, by the way, the actual feast. So this isn't a spiritual feast. This isn't just a spiritual feast that we're speaking about. We are talking about the future wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It is going to be amazing. It is happening on the day when Jesus returns to take us home with him. And then all of God's people will sit at his table and we will eat together in celebration. We will take the Lord's Supper together in celebration. And it won't be these cheap crackers and a little bit of grape juice either. It's going to be a full spread meal most likely. And it's going to be awesome. And we are going to eat actual food with our actual God. And he invites you to join him at that table if you will trust in his son. That's one way in which God is our host. The second way that God is our host is by him anointing us. That's how he cares for us. He anoints us. Uh, verse 5 talks about uh, anointing our heads with oil. And in ancient times, they would often use uh, olive oil. I think in this picture, we see uh, the prophet Samuel anointing David's head as a shepherd to be the future king of Israel. And, and, and basically, at special meals, special feasts, special wedding banquets, uh, very often the dinner host would put oil on the head, olive oil on the head of esteemed dinner guests, okay? These would be people who are very much valued by the dinner host. And it wasn't everybody, but it was a certain special person that the dinner host would do this in front of everybody to identify how much I respect this person, I value this person, I love this person, everybody. And similarly, when God adopts you in his own family as his child, once you trust in Jesus, you are then anointed spiritually. With what? With oil? No, with the, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, at which point he comes in to dwell within you, third member of the Trinity. And at that point, when he comes to live within you, you are internally empowered by God himself. And then he helps you obey Jesus. Uh, he helps you to live a transformed holy life. And then he helps you pursue the mission of Jesus, which is to make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. We can do nothing without him. And he gives us, that's how much we mean to him, that he would anoint us with his own presence to help us live for him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he treasures you. That's how much he values you. He brings you into his own home. And it says, as if he, yes, he prepares you a meal, but then he gets you to stand up in front of everybody and figuratively anoints you with his own Holy Spirit, like an honored guest, and he dabs you with that oil, the oil of the Spirit. And so will you rejoice because that's how much you mean to God, that he would give you himself? Is there any better gift than God himself to live with? Like, is there any other gift better than that, than God coming to live within you? But that's how much you mean to God. That's how much he is your host. And that is how generous he is to anybody who comes to Christ with faith. That's another way that we are uh, cared for by our host. A third way that we are cared for by our host is with lasting goodness and mercy. Not spending much time on this one. Uh, we see this in verse 6 if you have that in front of you. 
Another way that goodness and mercy can be translated is with the phrase steadfast love, meaning the love that our Lord gives us each and every day, it's steadfast, it's steady, it's ongoing, never-ending. All right, it's, it's not as if very often love is portrayed as, I love you today, but I might not love you tomorrow. But with God, He loves us today, He loves us tomorrow, He loves us every day into eternity. He is not the kind of God who ever gives up on us. All right, that's how much He cares for us. And so His love for us is lasting, His goodness is lasting, His mercy is lasting. Uh, lastly, in your notes, as we're trying to land this plane here, another way and the last way that the Lord, our host, cares for us is with a place to dwell <clears throat> forever. A place to dwell forever. The back half of verse 6 is where David says, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right? This is the great hope that we have, being in God's house uh, for eternity. Uh, let me share a quick story. Most summers, very often my family and I will get out to uh, Sun Peaks. I don't know if you've ever been to Sun Peaks. It's a, a ski resort. It's odd that you would go there in the summer, but there's actually all kinds of fun stuff for families to do at Sun Peaks in the summer. And, and this is one of the main reasons that you go to Sun Peaks in July. And this is what we did recently last July for about a week's time. And what we do is, you know, accommodation tends to be much cheaper in the summer than winter. And that's why we go in the summer. Uh, and so it's cheaper. We find basically a nice townhouse suite to, to stay in for that week's time. And then that serves as sort of home base to go kayaking in the surrounding lakes, which are just amazing. And we do some hiking, which I wrecked my knees at. So I don't recommend the hiking if, if you've got problems with your knees, okay? Um, learn, lesson learned. But anyhow, that's what we did. And it was a great week. And towards the end of that week happens every year. You know what the kids start saying? They start saying, I wish we could live here all the time. I wish we could just stay here, move to Sun Peaks, and enjoy this vacation every day, okay? At which point I try to remind them, what's wrong with our place in Langley? Langley, bad. You know, our home's not bad. Got a nice little townhouse to live in. I mean, come on. And then I remind them, it will just be a matter of time until you get bored of Sun Peaks as well. And then you'd be wanting to go back to Langley as the new thing. So anyhow... You know how this goes if, if you're a parent. You've had that conversation, I'm sure. But here's my point. We get hints, little sneak previews, little images like sun peaks. We go on vacation. We get away. We go on a hike in nature, whatever. We get these previews of God's ultimate home, these little snacks of God's ultimate coming rest that's coming for us. And we get these little previews when we get away to nice places. And a day is coming, if you trust in Christ, that you will never have to go back to your home in Langley or Surrey or wherever. You, you won't have to go back anymore. That's a good day. You can stay in God's house permanently, being with God, being with his people forevermore. You won't have to go back. You won't have to return from vacation. You just stay on vacation with God. And so I urge you, you've got to keep this hope in front of you. You've got to remind yourself of this truth every day. And one of the key ways that you do this is simply by praying in your prayers with Christ. And when you connect with Christ on a near daily basis, you say, a part of your prayer is, thank you for the hope of heaven that you've given me. You are a gracious host. Thank you for giving me a future with you and your people forevermore. Thank you for being, allowing me to be your adopted child forevermore. 
Help me, Holy Spirit, to keep hope in front of my mind and in my thoughts every day that I would be motivated to live a holy life uh, for you and also to invite others who are not yet Christians to join me in heaven by trusting in you as well. That's what we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Remind yourself of this hope. It keeps you focused on what we're all working towards, what we're driving towards, which is God, new heavens, new earth, where the table is set by God himself as our host, making a scrumptious meal for us to celebrate that he has saved us, he has transformed us, that he's going to take us home, and we remind ourselves of these truths. Well, with that, let me close now with prayer, and uh, just to bring this home. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this psalm, which reminds us of how good you are to us. You're so generous to us, uh, so generous as our shepherd, so generous to us as our host. I pray, Lord, that if somebody is here who is just feeling like they're dying out there, that they would trust in you as their shepherd, they would trust in you as their host, that they would take and eat, that they would take the direction and the care that you are offering us by faith in your Son, and to not settle for weak alternatives, for other shepherds that are weaker than you, for other dinner hosts that are much less generous than you, that we would only settle on trusting in you and following you, Lord Jesus. Help us to see that. I pray that if there is someone here who is not yet a Christian, that they would turn to you and see how good you are, see how they got nothing without you, they got no purpose without you, and that they would actually be led to have a conversation with another Christian about what it is to be a Christian today. Lord, we come to you uh, with the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of the ultimate wedding feast that we will enjoy with you in the new heavens and the new kingdom. And we ask that we would be reminded of all that you've done for us by your grace and by your love. Through Christ we pray. Amen.